Well, good morning. Before my wife and I moved to this part of London, we used to live in Wimbledon, southwest London, and for over 20 years we lived in the same road, a road called the Quadrant. And right opposite our house uh, lived a lovely couple called Ray and Kathy King. I have a picture of them here for you to look at. And in this picture, they're celebrating their 90th birthdays. Uh, so there they are, and they were, the celebration was in the neighbor's garden, our, our previous neighbor, and they're wearing crowns because their name is King. <laughs> Just over a week ago, Kathy King died, sadly. And uh, they were just such a special couple for us in that road for all the time we were there. They weren't particularly well off, but they were an incredibly generous couple. Uh, They were the kind of couple that would always be really genuinely interested in other people. Uh, They would be unstinting in just giving of their time and their energy to others. And uh, when we moved in, we had a card popped through our door the very day we moved in, and it was from the Kings, and they said, Welcome to the Quadrant, and if you ever need somebody to babysit, please do ask us. And we'd never met them before, and they offered to do that, and they did babysit on quite a number of occasions. In contrast, the people that we bought our house from, they were... Quite mean and small-minded, to be honest. (laughs) They were suspicious of people. They were the kinds of people that would... You know, if you parked your car on a little bit of road right outside their house, public road, they would run out of the house and tell you to move your car. They kind of felt that they owned that bit of road. They'd built their little empire and they wanted to protect it as much as possible. They were also churchgoers. So you've got neighbors on one side, Ray and Kathy, who are very generous and warm and loving, caring people, and then these people on the other side. Quite a contrast. In today's Bible passage, we're going to be looking at the contrast between the church at Macedonia, that is the churches that were in the northern part of Greece, uh, churches like Philippi, Berea, uh, Thessalonica, churches that Paul had planted, And in contrast to them, we have the church in Corinth. Those churches in Macedonia were poor. They were persecuted. They didn't have very much at all, and yet they were very generous. The church in Corinth, on the other hand, wasn't under persecution, was actually quite wealthy, and was in danger of being quite tight-fisted. We're in a series called Power and Weakness, and we've arrived at chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 in a few moments. But first of all, let me give you a little bit of background. You might remember that in Acts chapter 11, a prophet called Agabus prophesied that there would be a famine right across the Roman world. And the church in Jerusalem and that surrounding area had been particularly affected by this famine, which went on for some years. Paul had been working with the non-Jewish churches and had decided he would take up offerings in all of those churches so that they could help the church in Jerusalem. 
And in AD 46, he and Barnabas delivered a gift from the church in Antioch to the church in Jerusalem to try and relieve them in this time of famine. Paul didn't give up there because the famine continued for some years. And so everywhere he went, uh, planting churches and visiting churches that he had already established, he raised funds uh, with the idea of going back to Jerusalem and helping the believers there. Now, originally, the Corinthian church had been involved in this offering, and they started well. But somewhere between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, those two letters that we have, they lost interest, and it sort of fell by the wayside. And in this chapter, Paul is reminding them that they had started to give, and he wants them to continue and finish off the gift that they'd promised It was a bit like, you know, when there's an earthquake somewhere in the world, lots of governments promise money and some of that money materializes, but some of it doesn't quite get there at the right time. And so the Corinthians had started well, uh, but actually had uh, got interested in, in other things and so had lost focus. The Macedonians, however, have been incredibly generous, so Paul gives them as an example to try and get the Corinthians back into renewed action. So his message is clear. The Corinthians were relatively rich. They had agreed to contribute, but they had not yet contributed. The Macedonians were extremely poor. Paul hadn't pressed them to give, but they were really keen to get involved in this offering. And so Paul is trying to shame the Corinthians into a proper response. Now let's read chapter 8 verses 1 to 12. And now, brothers and sisters, We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So we have two contrasting churches, the church at Macedonia and the church at Corinth. 
The churches of Macedonia had given generously. Paul says their poverty welled up in rich generosity. He says that they gave themselves first to the Lord in verse 5. Their primary concern was how they could best serve Christ. They were so keen to serve Christ that they didn't allow their lack of money to prevent them from being involved in this offering to serve people in the wider body of Christ. And so they had an opportunity and they jumped at the chance to get involved. However, in contrast, the church at Corinth are rather more selfish. We know from the letters to the Corinthians that they were quick to form cliques. They got themselves into little groups. They took one another to court. They liked to parade their spiritual gifts. They were slow to show consideration for the weaker members of the community, the church community. They tolerated immorality on the part of some of the members. And then when the false teachers turned up, they quickly switched their allegiance from Paul to these new teachers. And they were more interested in these newcomers. So they were, they were quite fickle and they were quite selfish. Corinth had prospered because there were two harbors uh, that served the city. And goods would come in from all over the world and flow through the city of Corinth. And so there was quite a lot of wealth in that particular city. There's a Greek travel writer called Strabo, or Strabo, and he quoted a Greek proverb that said, Not every man can afford a trip to Corinth. So it really was an expensive place, and cash was king. Paul then repeatedly has to press the Corinthians to show the same level of concern about the church in Jerusalem as the Macedonians had. Sadly, it's often those that have most that are most reluctant to part with their money. A story is told of a very wealthy man who had never been known for his generosity to the church. The local church that he was connected with was involved in a building project, and the deacons thought it would be a good idea to go and visit him. So they explained to the man that in view of his resources, they hoped that he would be able to make a contribution to the project. I see, he said. You've got it all figured out, have you? Do you realize that I have a widowed mother who has no other means of support but me? No, they've responded. We didn't know that. Did you know that my sister was left by her drunken husband with five children and no means of, to provide for them? No, they said. We didn't know that either. Well, gentlemen, did you know that my brother was crippled in a car accident and can't work to support his wife and family? Embarrassed, they responded, no, sir, we didn't know that either. Well, he thundered triumphantly, I've never given any of them a penny, so why should I give anything to you? Sometimes it's the people with the most money that find it difficult to be generous. And the Corinthians had a lot of money comparatively, but they weren't being very generous. In Corinth, money was God. So they excelled in many things as a church, but Paul knew that the power of money 
could entice them away from serving the Lord. So that's why Paul takes two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, to address this idol of money. He was bold in asking for money for three different reasons. First of all, because it was important for other people. It is obvious that if you give, then somebody else benefits. And if you withhold money, then somebody else misses out. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, at the beginning of that chapter, Paul is talking about the time he was with the leaders in Jerusalem, the church there. And in verse 10, he talks about wanting to remember the poor. He doesn't want to forget the poor wherever he ministers. And so he he embarks on his ministry. He serves the different churches in the non-Jewish world. And in each place, he raises money for extending the ministry to the next place. Uh, So there's money raised for missions. There's money for church planting. Uh, They remember the poor within their own church communities. But he's also keen to remember the poor in other church communities further away. And so Paul wants to take up this uh, offering for the, for the Jewish churches who were famine hit. And if this chapter te- teaches us anything, it teaches us that there are occasions when it's right for us to give money further afield. Uh, obviously, we're aware of the needs that are around us immediately in our own families, in our own communities. But uh, Paul is urging people to give to a church which is many miles away, to believers who are in difficult straits in another part of the world. And so it's appropriate that from time to time, there will be moments when we should give out of our riches here in the UK, because we're economically pretty well off, to other parts of the world, and particularly believers in other parts of the world that are struggling. And so Paul in verse 11, urges the Corinthian church to to finish the work. He says, now finish the work. They've started, but they need to complete this offering. It may be that there's been a time in your life where you used to give regularly and generously, maybe to a local church or to some ministry. But for whatever reason, you don't do that any longer. Maybe you started well, but at some point it's all fallen by the wayside and you've stopped giving. And when you stop giving, somebody somewhere will miss out. Now, there were several reasons why the Corinthian church might have stopped uh, giving to this offering. They may have lost enthusiasm for different uh, reasons. One of the reasons might have been that they were infiltrated by these false teachers. And maybe these teachers were saying, well, you don't want to get involved with Paul's project. Forget that. Why don't you give the money to us, to our ministry? And so maybe they had stopped giving money to this offering because they thought there was something better that they should give their money to. I think biblically, it's right to give, first of all, to your local church family. I don't know about you, but in my own family, I try and be generous uh, towards my own children. They're all grown up now, but they still have some financial needs. And so from time to time, we try and help them. And I think it's right that as a church family, if you belong to this church, if you call kings your church, uh, then it's fair enough if this is where you're being fed, you're being taught, you're being supported, you're being pastored. It makes sense to give, first of all, into the local church. But of course, what happens is that we, we see some other ministry, some other great speaker comes along, some other TV evangelist or something you've caught on the radio, on a website, they, they catch our attention. 
And so we start giving to the local church, but something else comes along and we think, oh, maybe I should invest my money there instead. And it can get diverted sometimes. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving to other ministries, but I'm just making an appeal that really it should start here in the local church family. The Corinthians may have also been discouraged from giving because Paul's had to be very stern with them. He had to address a pastoral issue which they had failed to get to grips with. And originally they'd been quite upset with him. But then they'd repented, they'd seen that he was right, and they addressed the issue, which was quite a serious one. And maybe in your situation, you used to give money into a local church, but maybe somebody confronted you about your own behavior or something you should have dealt with. And you got offended and you thought, I'm not going to give any money there anymore. I want to encourage us to give uh, into the local church, particularly because that is where we're, we're fellowshipping together. That's what, where, where we're getting our support. It's relatively easy to start something with some enthusiasm, but it's uh, ever so easy to let it slip. Any of you that have done a DIY project at home, you know that that's true. You started well with lots of enthusiasm, and about six weeks later, you still haven't finished that little bit in the corner. And so we can allow these things just to slip and slide. We have a fantastic opportunity as a church to impact and reach this community in southeast London and even further. Over these last few years, we've reached hundreds, if not thousands of people for Christ. And we're giving as generously as we can in order to make that happen. And we want to continue to make that happen. We have this wonderful facility at the Lee Building, which has enormous potential to develop much further. And uh, we want to reach out, not just in our own generation, but in future generations. We want to give the next generation a sort of springboard uh, to, to jump on and to go on beyond us. I'm always very grateful when I've been in churches in the past that you go into a building, you worship somewhere... And I'm grateful that a previous generation made some sacrifices in order to build that building, which my generation can now enjoy. And in our own generation, we need to give as generously as we can to give a starting point for the next generation. We want people to go beyond where we've got to. We want people to reach millions rather than thousands, don't we? Or or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands at least. Uh, And they can do that on the back of what we've managed to do in our generation. So let's not have a small view of what our giving achieves. Our giving can achieve enormous amounts over many, many decades. So let's not abandon the project partway through. Let's finish the work that God has called us to do. Let's press on with everything that God has called us to do in our season. Paul is asking for money because he knew that others would miss out if we withhold our offerings. Secondly, Paul is asking for money because it's important to God. Giving is a concrete act of worship. We can sing lots of songs, we can be ever so expressive, we can be really loud, but the real worship is indicated by what we're giving, and God sees what we're giving. Somebody once said, get to know two things about a man, how he earns his money and how he spends it. You will have a clue to his character. Uh, You will have a searchlight that shows up the inner recesses of his soul. You know all you need to know about his standards, his motives, his driving desires, his real religion. 
Phil Moore succinctly summed it up like this. He said, no statement of faith reveals what we believe as clearly as our bank statements. No statement of faith reveals what we believe as clearly as our bank statements. The primary reason we give to God is in response to what he's, to, to, for what he's done for us. Uh, it's an extension of our worship. And it shows very accurately how much we love him. Thirdly, Paul was bold in asking for money because it's important to us as well. Uh, God doesn't actually need our money. He owns the whole world. He owns the whole universe. But giving is important for us because it's an antidote to materialism. And if you've grown up in a society like this one, it's all around you. And so you take it for granted that that's normal. Well, it isn't normal. I grew up in a family where we were encouraged to be fairly frugal, to save money, to be very careful about how we spend money. Uh, It wasn't that we were stingy, but I don't ever remember being encouraged to be particularly generous. Uh, Money was short in that particular time, and we had to handle it carefully. That was my upbringing. When I became a Christian, I had to relearn about giving and about generosity. You cannot assume that the way you've been brought up is the right way. In one of his books, J.I. Packer says, Inevitably, we grow up children of our own age, reflecting in our outlook the mental environment in which we were reared. The process is as natural as breathing in the air around us and as unconscious. It is easy to be unaware that it has happened. It is hard to begin to realize how profoundly tradition has, in this sense, molded us. We may never assume the complete rightness of our own ways of thought and practice and excuse ourselves of the duty of testing and reforming them by the scriptures. That is what Paul says in Romans 12 verse 2, that we are to uh, not to conform to the pattern of this world, but we are allowed the scriptures to transform our thinking, to renew our minds. And so we constantly have to come to the Bible and allow the Bible to speak to us, to place ourselves under the authority of the Bible and allow the Bible to really shape our thinking and our attitudes, and particularly in this area of money. We learn from this passage also that you don't have to wait until you're rich before you can be generous. The Macedonians were undergoing some severe trials and they were not wealthy at all. And yet they gave abundantly. In fact, the best time to learn how to give generously is when you've got very little money. I think I would say I learned that lesson when I first became a Christian when I was a student and I didn't have a lot of money. But it was in that season that I realized that I could give 10% of my income and could be that generous at least. And when you, if you learn that when you've got a small amount of money, it's easier to keep going so that when you've got a larger amount of money, you can still give generously. However, if you've already got a massive income, you're going to look at that and think, that is a lot of money to be giving to the Lord's work. I remember a friend of mine who was earning a big salary, a high-powered job, and he hadn't learned this lesson of generosity yet, still fairly new Christian, having this debate with my predecessor, the pastor at the church in Wimbledon. He's saying, that's a lot of money to be giving away. And it was a lot of money for him. But if he'd learnt it when he got smaller amounts of money, it wouldn't have been so much of a problem. 
Material wealth may cloak spiritual poverty, and material poverty may cloak spiritual wealth. God is less interested in the amount given than the amount given compared to the resources we have. That's the lesson of Mark chapter 12, where Jesus observes a widow giving into the offering. She gives very generously compared to her resources. And the, the passage always also says that we are to give according uh, to what you have rather than what you have not got. So we're not expected to get into further debt trying to be generous uh, to give towards the Lord's work. So whether you're poor or whether you're well off, Paul urges us to excel in the grace of giving. Well, how do you excel in anything? You practice, don't you? Again and again and again, you practice. If you want to get good at ice skating, you go ice skating for hour after hour, day after day, week after week in order to get good at it. If you want to play tennis better, you have to practice. Uh, They say that you need about 10,000 hours of practice in order to become an expert at anything. So if we're going to become experts at giving, we've probably got a few more hours of giving to go. If you want to excel, keep practicing. It also tells us in this passage that we're to copy Jesus' example. Because verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Well, Jesus was rich in the sense that before coming to the earth, he had all the riches of heaven. He had no limitations in his heavenly existence. He wasn't limited in time or in space. But then when he becomes flesh and he becomes man and God, he's suddenly then for a season limited to a particular place and to a particular time. And so he becomes poor for our sake. He lets go of the richness of heaven and becomes poor. Not only that, he ministered to the poor and needy primarily. He doesn't go amongst the wealthy so much. He is is himself quite poor. He doesn't have his own home. And so he exchanges that richness for poverty. Philippians 2, Paul writes about it there as well and says that Jesus made himself nothing, made himself poor, if you like, taking on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' poverty is is the humility of his earthly existence and also his obedience to death. And because he dies for us on the cross, uh, he makes a way for us to be enriched and to have eternal life and to know forgiveness of sin. He makes a way for us to become fabulously wealthy in a spiritual sense because he accepted that poverty. And so in turn, we need to learn how to be generous in our, in our hearts towards other people. Generous in all kinds of ways, not just giving, but generous with our time and our attitudes and the way that we welcome people so that others will benefit as well. So I'd like to just conclude with some principles about giving that come out of this passage. First of all, we're encouraged to give generously. Secondly, to show concern for God's people in other parts of the world. Thirdly, we're encouraged 
not just to give out a sense of duty or guilt. We shouldn't give out of those things, but to give in response to what God has done for us. Fourthly, we're to copy the generosity of Jesus. Fifthly, don't give what you haven't got, but give according to your means. And sixth, aim to excel in the grace of giving. The word charis, the Greek word charis, is found ten times in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Tom Wright says this is one of Paul's big words, grace. Often when people talk about grace, they're thinking about the way that uh, grace enables us to become a Christian, enables us to grow as Christians, and the way it enables us to live as Christians. But here, Paul is using it of the Macedonian church uh, to say that God's grace was expressed through them. So we, we can also be channels of God's grace into other people's lives. And God gives this type of grace to the Macedonian churches, which meant that they were able to give in almost a reckless way uh, towards the church in Jerusalem. So my question is, are you more like the Macedonians or more like the Corinthians? I know that many of you already excel in this grace of giving, and I want to commend you for that. We wouldn't be where we are today as a church if people had had failed to be generous. So many of you are giving incredibly generously. But then maybe others of you, you just know you need to take some steps in this direction. You know you need to take a next step in the direction of growing in this grace of giving. And I want to encourage you to do that as well, to take a practical step to move in that direction. Because together we can make a serious impact for the gospel on our community in our generation and beyond that to the future as well because people will come to know eternal life have their lives transformed know the real forgiveness of Jesus Christ because of our generosity in this place I'm going to invite the band to come back and then I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song together in a moment but let's first of all pray Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you gave up everything for us. Thank you that you left the richness and the wealth of heaven to come and be on this earth and to minister to poor, ordinary people. Thank you that you did more than that, that you died on a cross, you were obedient to death, so that through being impoverished in that sense, you also made a way for us to be rich. Lord, we thank you for all the spiritual wealth and riches that we have access to through what you have done for us on the cross. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live generous lives, to be generous in every sense, but particularly to learn how to be generous in the way that we give. And so, Lord, we say, Lord, help us to learn this lesson uh, for our own benefit in reflecting how much we love you and also to serve other people, to be a blessing to other people, just as you've been a great blessing to us. Lord, we thank you so much, and we pray, Lord, help us to grow in this area of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.